Our readings tonight are from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 2, 2 through 4, and then Revelation 21. First Corinthians 12. Oh. Well, then we'll go to Second Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4, and then Revelation 21. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. Revelation 21, entitled The New Jerusalem. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. 
<coughs> the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. <coughs> the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. <clears throat> The text is uh, from 2 Peter 3, verse 13, where Peter speaks a word in relation to the new heavens, and he says, uh, 2 Peter 3, 13, but in keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Beloved children of God, we have another good question before us this evening. We had uh, some discussion in a, in a Bible study from a Bible study that was meeting, and they got to discussing things of heaven and how things went, and even a bit about the seating arrangement what was all involved in that heavenly picture. And so this evening, we want to reflect on that. That's a, a very good question in terms of getting a front row seat in heaven. It, it just struck me initially that while on earth here in church, most folks tend to gravitate toward the back. And yet in heaven, <laughs> what is that exactly? I just put that to Christian humility. That's my thought, right? Just humbly in the back, people take a seat. But in the great, the great vision of heaven, it's like a, a, a grand performance, a, a, a spectacular event 
like if you were at the Canada-Russia, the junior gold medal hockey game, you want to be at the front. You want to see it all. And so the sense of heaven is beautiful, wonderful, exciting. God on the throne, angels singing. We would want to be right there at the front and see it all. The first thing that I would just like to uh, say in relation to the question in general is that uh, reality that, that heaven is real. A book came out just recently and then a movie and the, the whole sense of the reality of heaven. I'm not sure if you read the book or saw the movie. There are a lot of very, very nice things in there. There are some things we would discuss a little more perhaps, but the reality of heaven, definitely truth we hold to. And that is the place where believers go when they die. So in a sense, it's, it's nice that that book came out and even the movie. And if you want to talk to people about it and reflect on it with people, it's good. It's good to just do that. No problem at all. It is the contrast of those who, without faith, don't have any sense of anything beyond this life. And so if you are actually talking to someone and you have the hope of heaven and they have nothing, then you have something to discuss. Then you have something to talk about. What, what is there, actually, in terms of this life and all that it is, is there nothing more? And that is a, a very good way to humbly bring in the truth of God's presence and power and the eternal hope that we have. The second thing in relation to heaven, just beginning with that verse from 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about heaven. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's broken down in this way. In 2 Corinthians 12, it speaks about this person who was caught up to the third heaven. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. What, what is that about, these three levels of heaven? That is understandable in terms of the Jewish understanding of, of things, the, the, the reality of, of heaven above. There were three heavens. The first heaven was, was simply the atmosphere, the air. And so as far as you could see in terms of, of just the sky above us, uh, the best way to understand that, I think, is when uh, just recently this uh, gentleman, Felix uh, Baumgartner, and then there was another fellow too, I'm not sure, but I remember this one where he, he took that balloon up to the edge of space and stepped off. That's the edge of the first heaven. The basic heaven that if you jump off, you will fall. That's the first heaven. So when you talk about the three heavens, that's the first. The seven, second heaven is the picture of the stars in the night sky. We looked and talked about it this morning. Is, is everything out there? The second heaven, all the planets, all the stars, the Milky Way, the galaxies, even deep space as far 
as they could see at that time, as far as we can see, that's the second heaven. And then the third heaven has the sense of beyond that. And Ephesians 4 verse 10, for example, says he, that's Jesus who descended, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens or both of the heavens. He's beyond the first, he's beyond the second. He entered the third heaven, true heaven. And also Hebrews 4.14, we have a great high priest, that's Jesus Christ, who has gone through the heavens and arrived at the third heaven. And the third heaven is the heaven of heavens. And you can see that pictured in the Bible and also in pictures of, of the throne of God, all of the, the angels and, and the beautiful sense of heaven as that glorious home where God dwells. Above time and space, sense of eternity, sense of the mansions of glory, the real heaven. That is the third heaven. So this man, in a, in a vision, in, a, in a, the spirit, was caught up to the true heaven and saw and experienced things. And it mentions, too, of paradise. It mentions a beauty and a, and a majesty that, that he couldn't even describe. And so that's 2 Corinthians 12. And so we can understand, okay, that's what the Bible means when it speaks about the sense of, of third heaven, when that comes in. And so we would be able to understand that. And we are thinking then about that, that great third heaven. That's the one we're interested in. The one called paradise. The one where Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So what is that? And when... When you go there, what is that like? The sense of the seating arrangement arises out of the biblical discussion of rewards. For example, in Matthew 5, verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. It's speaking about being persecuted and those who are, are witnesses for their faith. And then it says, you will be rewarded. Well, what's, what's the reward? Well, okay, it's, it's something specific, though it doesn't really get spell, spelled out. Um, is it a, a different uh, reward or degree of satisfaction when you're in heaven? Or is it a different uh, level of responsibility that, that things are, are going on in heaven and you are given more responsibility? In, in the parable of the talents, it talks a little bit about that, that, that you will be over so many things. And so is that the reward, that, that you get greater authority of some kind in heaven? Or is it a, a place of honor that you are ushered to the front and given a, a seat up front and the others are in the back? So this, this sense of reward kind of uh, comes in. The, the mansions of glory. Jesus says in John 14, I'm preparing a mansion for you. So you would get a bigger room than I would, see? And then 
okay, what, what goes on? What is the arrangement? And there, re- Reformed theology has never really delved much into that. I remember starting out in ministry when we began in Dunville, and, and this came up at a certain point too, the sense of rewards, and, and the Bible does speak about rewards, but not, not so specifically, and, and our Reformed theology doesn't really touch it, doesn't, doesn't go there. The, the general sense is, you're in heaven. <laughs> you are in heaven, so don't worry. <laughs> You, you're good. And, and the sense of, okay, better or worse, or front or back, doesn't really enter in. And we'll just deal with it when we get there, and it's not something we need to really worry about. So there hasn't really been a lot of discussion about it. In the sense, it's, it's a little bit like when you go to some of these... Uh, these uh, entertainment facility and they say too there's not a bad seat in the house there is no bad seat in that house if you're there you're good and you can see and hear everything and revelation 1 verse 7 all eyes will see him we will be with the lord so that that whole sense of the arrangement of things we don't we don't go there so specifically so what what can we say about heaven there's really two senses in the bible there is first of all the time between when we would die and the final judgment there's that particular part of time, that stretch between our death and, and the time when Jesus comes again in glory to judge. And so that's pictured as believers who have died. Their body is buried here. Their soul goes to be with the Lord in heaven. And that's one particular part of our journey then. So the soul is in heaven with God, it's, it's a bodiless state. It's hard to imagine what are we without our body. We are very bodily people. But our soul, our, our understanding, our, our tie with God, our, our knowledge of him, our, that reality of who we are goes to be with God in heaven. And that is what we call the intermediate state. It does say, uh, we read from 2 Corinthians 12, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, Paul talks a little bit about the longing that he has. He speaks about uh, here, we are confident, I say, we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So there's a sense of, of we are away from the body, we are at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. It's sometimes called the intermediate state. I'm not sure if you've heard that term. It's kind of an in-between kind of time. And so that is existing, being 
in heaven, but it's not the new heaven and the new earth. We are not yet reunited with our glorified body. We long for that in heaven. And so things like Revelation chapter 6, where the Apostle John is looking into heaven, and in verse 9, uh, he's given the beautiful vision, and he says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and they called out in a loud vo voice, How long, O Lord? So there's, the souls are there, and they're fully aware, and they're in the presence of God, and they're on the altar, under the altar, and, and it's, it's all there. And there's, there's heaven, an intermediate state, awaiting for God's completion of his kingdom-building, redeeming work in Jesus. Those who have died in Christ and who have entered the presence of the Lord. So that's something that is, is described in Revelation 4 through 7. Uh, John describes that heavenly picture with, with the one seated on the throne, the Lord God Almighty, Revelation 4, verse 8, surrounded by the 24 elders, Revelation 4, verse 4. Uh, the four living creatures are there, Revelation 4, verse 6. Uh, the lamb who has been slain is there, Jesus, Revelation 5, verse 6. There are many, many angels, it says, Revelation 5, verse 11. It speaks about the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel, Revelation 7. And then it, it speaks about the great multitude of the redeemed, those who have died trusting in the Lord, and there they are in heaven, a multitude so vast they cannot be counted. And they are crying out, salvation belongs to our God, Revelation 7, verse 10, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So they are before the throne of God. They are worshiping him. They are under the shelter of his presence. It says they will hunger no more. They neither thirst anymore. They are in the presence of God. So that's an initial picture. That's during the intermediate state. That's heaven. That's where believers go when they die. Entering into the presence of the Lord, awaiting the resurrection of the body at the end of the age. And so those who have died in Christ currently behold that glorious vision, that glorious mystery to us, described in just a few of these things in Revelation. The second aspect of heaven is the eternal state. And that's the sense of 2 Peter 3, verse 13. In keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the final home of righteousness. So that, that picture, that is presented as well. Now that's less common, in fact, 
in terms of what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about this intermediate state a little more than there is that final sense of the new heaven and the new earth. That joyous experience of the believer in an eternal union with God, with Christ, in our glorified body, united again with our soul. And Revelation 21 really pictures that, the picture of that ultimate end. It's the focus of the eternal home of believers, and it has that addition of the glorified body, and that's really, that's really the central difference. That comes fully forward. So we, we are very bodily folk. We, we like it in our bodies, and, and our glorified bodies will be present in heaven. So we will be bodily present in heaven in our glorified body. And the description of this eternal state, this eternal home, is very physical. It's earthy. Even as Jesus came down to earth, and even as in Revelation 21, it says that the city comes down the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and God dwells with his people. Revelation 21, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will be with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So, so the sense of Emmanuel Jesus coming, God with us, the sense of, of the city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, Revelation 21, verse 2. There is a, a sense of very earthy. It's an earthy heaven. That's a picture that the Bible presents since we have glorified bodies, there will be a bodily kind of physical existence. If you read Revelation 21, just, just even the general terms, it talks very physically. It talks about eyes and, and it talks about hearing and seeing. It talks about things of a very... Uh, concrete nature there is a symbolism there but there is also the sense of an actual presence an actual city an actual aspect of gates and roads there's actual uh, measurements given that have some symbolic value no doubt but also very very tangible it's not just there in the light somewhere above who knows. It's, it's very concrete, in fact. And so you get all of this sense about it. 
There is also in verse uh, 24 of Revelation 21 a picture of the nations walking by the light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The gates are open. There is a, a real sense of this is a place where, where we physically live and act and engage the wonder of God. In Revelation 22, uh, it, it uh, adds the river of life flowing from the throne. It talks about trees and fruit and leaves for healing. So all of those things factor into our understanding, a reformed understanding of, okay, this eternal home, this heaven, is actually quite earthly. Glorious, absolutely, but quite physical. Revelation 2 verse 7 speaks of it as well in terms of paradise and new paradise to those who overcome. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So that coming from paradise in Genesis to the eternal paradise, that is a connection that is made biblically. There is a real sense of paradise but even better. And so the Reformed emphasis is that on the new heaven, we always include the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth, and that reality of, of what God has done will be renewed. And so the beauties of this earth, so much more. The wonder of what God has done, but so much more a dwelling place where God dwells with us, so heaven is with us because God is with us, but that it's on the new earth. One of the key books written by Dr. Anthony Huxma, he, he wrote a kind of the definitive book out of Calvin Seminary uh, probably 30 years ago, but his, his basic theme in the book, he goes through all the aspects of the Bible and all of the different things. And when he looks at the end times and when he looks at the future, he doesn't even have a chapter entitled Heaven. His final chapter is entitled The New Earth. That's, that's I don't know if you've run into it very much, but it is the official reformed understanding of things. That, that there will be a tangibleness to it. There will be a, a, an engagement in a very physical way. And it's a beautiful uh, biblical insight into, well, what's heaven like? Well, it's just out there and, and, and we're floating and it's just nothing to do with earth. And then you almost wonder, why bother having a glorified body? Because you're just floating about in space and... It's, it's much more, you have the body, you have a physical presence with God, and 
that will continue to work itself out in a restored creation. So eternity is not glorified believers in some ethereal heaven far off with the white robes and the harps. That's more of a Greek idea that our bodies are evil and this earth is evil and it should all just be done away with. We believe in the resurrection of the body and its glorification, a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about that. And so that gets worked out in terms of a vision of heaven, that God created the earth and he will renew it when heaven and earth come together. There will be no division between heaven and earth. There will be no separation between God and, and us. We will be together as God intended. And so that sense of the new heaven and the new earth, Revelation 21 verse 1, the new heaven and the new earth, as it's mentioned there, there are two terms in the Greek for new. One is completely new, trash this, make something new. The term here in Revelation 21 is renewed. So what God made fell into sin by Jesus' work. It will be renewed, made new. And that's the hope that we have. In Romans 8, verse 20 and 21, it speaks about the whole creation is groaning in sin until the day that it will be renewed. And so the picture is that Jesus didn't come just to save a couple of people and everything else is lost. But he came to renew all creation and liberate it from the curse. The sense of, of resurrection bodies is not that we are, are, are gone and that, that new people arrive in heaven. No, we, we arrive in heaven. And we are renewed, like the whole creation is renewed. And so that's the sense that the newness that we hope for is expressed. You can, you can think of it as people too who work on uh, vehicles and restore them. They make them new. You uh, probably know people who do this kind of work and from what is completely done initially is made completely new again. That's the reformed sense of God's renewing work. And so the new earth is going to be a, a semblance of what we have. There is going to be recognition between what we have now and what will be then. So sometimes the new earth is pictured in, in this way. You get pictures of, of a physical world. You get pictures of a reality that's, that's, yeah, it includes things of this world. It includes beautiful things. And it will be a wonderful, glorious, place to spend eternity with God. So just a few quotes from, from some of the, the, 
the people who've thought about this a little more, one of the examples uh, a, a person mentioned, one of the theologians, these fields uh, of glory, the fields, will be evidence of redemption. In this world, they often become battlefields, fields of strife and sorrow. There they will be fields of plenty and of harmony. Uh, Dr. Burkauer, he wrote a number of things in terms of, of our understanding of, of election and, and uh, God's providence, and he also wrote in relation to our hope for the future, and he speaks there in terms of, of taking a more concrete, material view of eternity rather than just some kind of spiritualized concept of future joy. That there's concrete things. Herman Bavink, he was uh, at the turn of the century, one of the key theologians in the Netherlands, and he speaks of creation renewed, a renewed planet Earth and God's presence there. Louis, Louis Burkhoff, he taught at Calvin Seminary for many years. He was the, the main systematic theologian there. He speaks of all of God's uh, glory that has been hidden here by sin will be remembered and restored. And so, yeah, what does that include? That includes everything that, that God had made good. Genesis 1, it was good, it was so very good, and it will be wondrously good again. And Abraham Kuyper speaks about these things. He was the uh, Prime Minister of Holland, early 1900, or 1904, 1905. He speaks in relation to things of this earth and feels that even the knowledge that we have attained and the aspects of dominion that are good will be evident. So even, even the things that we seek to do now that are good and godly, they will be evidenced even in the new heaven. So all of these, these thinkers, all of these who have reflected on this question, what is heaven like, what will it be like, bring in a very earthy sense of God's restoring work. And that fulfills things like the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's going to be beautiful. It's a heavenly inheritance. And in Acts 3, verse 21, where it speaks about he must remain in heaven, that's Jesus, until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophet. So that looks back maybe to Isaiah 11, a restored creation. And Revelation 22, verse 3, makes a very interesting comment when it says, no longer will there be any curse. The fall into sin was the curse, the curse of sin. And everything was cursed by sin. And everything was twisted. Everything was ruined. And that will be removed. And everything will be made new again. There will no longer be any 
curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. So God will be there, Jesus will be there, and we will serve him together. So that's, that's a picture of that eternal home, that eternal state. It all ties back most centrally to our hope of the resurrection of the body. If you didn't really hold to this more concrete understanding of an eternal home, why would you even need that? You just go off as a soul and and float around in heaven for eternity. But that's not what we believe. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Why bodily? Because we will be living on the new earth with heaven right there, with God right there. And what's that going to be like? It's more than we can imagine. I always like 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 where Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even actually conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we trust in you as the one who provides for us the hope of each day that you give us living here. We thank you for your gift of life and we thank you for your presence here by your word and spirit. We thank you too for the assurance of an eternal home with you. Lord, we recognize that we are still in the time that unless you come again, we too will have to face the reality of death And Lord, you have given us a comfort and assurance that at that time you will take us to be with you in heaven and that in the end you will make all things new. Lord, we pray that you would make this our comfort, our assurance, trusting in you. We thank you for the glorious hope that you prepare and that we long for and we trust that even as we see Lord Jesus your presence and power, working in this world, seeking to build your kingdom until that great day that you come again, that we put our hope, our trust in you. We pray in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.